For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Father, we thank you that you are our rock and our salvation, our refuge, our fortress. And Father, I pray that for the many who are in fear and who are in grief at the tragic loss in Kenya, in Syria, that they would be able to run to the rock of our salvation and find Christ in this time of need. Father, we pray for these nations. We pray for peace. We pray for deep, deep healing. And we also pray for godly leadership to be established. We also especially want to pray for our brothers and sisters in these nations, that you would strengthen them, protect them, comfort them, encourage them on this Lord's day, that they would continue to worship you with boldness, never being ashamed of the gospel. But above all else, we ask that you would give them a deeper love for you, that no matter the loss, no matter the tragedies, no matter the sufferings and surprises, that they will always love Jesus through it all. So God, bring peace in Syria. Bring peace in Kenya. And above all else, bring your kingdom to come in power in these nations. We pray that same prayer for Korea and for OEM right now, for your kingdom to come in power, for your will to be established in this place. Ready our hearts, soften our hearts now by your grace to receive your word with gladness, to have eyes that will see beauty and glory through your truth, ears to be able to hear your voice clearly, and hearts that will surrender and submit to Jesus fully so that we will have lives changed because we have worshiped the living God today. Encourage hearts today by your truth. Breathe life into your church today by your truth. Father, I ask that you would strengthen me now. Holy Spirit, preach through me today so that all that happens during this time would bring glory and honor to the precious name of Jesus. So let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the thoughts that run through my mind be pleasing and honorable in your sights. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. And it is in your son's name we pray. Amen. One test concerning the genuineness of a diamond for a jeweler is to place it in clear water. A real diamond will sparkle with a special brilliance, while an imitation diamond, uh, stone, will have no sparkle at all. And so when you place these two objects side by side, even an untrained eye will clearly be able to tell the difference between the two. And in a similar way, there is a test that makes it clear the kind of genuineness and strength that resides within the faith of a true believer. 
There is a test that can determine how strong or weak, how alive or how dead our faith truly is. It is the test of suffering. It is this test of suffering and trials that we go through that is the key determining factor that reveals the true quality and nature of our faith before God. And this is the, this is the test that is spoken of first in the book or the letter of James. And throughout the remainder of this book, James will show us the sparkle of true faith versus the signs of a dead faith in the life of a believer. Now, we're going to be starting a new series today through the book of James that will most likely take us through Christmas, Lord willing. You know, I think it's appropriate that we study this book of James for many reasons, but in particular, it's actually considered the wisdom book of the New Testament. And as we just finished our series through a wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, this is a perfect complement to what we've been studying so far on wisdom, on knowing life's purpose, and living in light of the fear of the Lord. But it's also appropriate that we study the book of James because of this very special season of ministry that God is allowing us to be in right now. I can assure you that many years from now, when we look back on the season that we are in, the season of justice, that we will realize that it is a special season that God is taking us through right now. Uh, God has given me the privilege of seeing special seasons happen, of God's move amongst churches in Chicago when I grew up, in Vancouver, in uh, Sydney, Australia. And right now, I can assure you that this is a very unique and special window of opportunity for us to see God working in a very unique way through His church in Korea. It is a season where we are seeing change happen in Korea through this ministry. Uh, it is a season where we are bringing change to Thailand and different parts of Southeast Asia. It is a season where other countries are now looking to us to see what a justice ministry looks like within a church setting. And this book of James is one of the best when it comes to understanding how our faith and our deeds are connected for our spiritual journey and maturity. So for these and many other reasons, James is a good book for us to study, to finish out this year, Lord willing. And so we want to begin. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1, uh, and we will begin today by discovering how even in the midst of trials and suffering, treasures can result in our lives in the very end. James chapter 1, verse 1 begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus and a leader in the church in Jerusalem. James is writing to this to the churches dispersed in that region around the world and those who are going through different trials and suffering as well. And as he is speaking through this book, he is seeking to connect what we believe with how we live. Uh, because oftentimes there will be a disparity, there will be a discrepancy between what we say we believe and the lifestyle that we live. And he will bridge these two together for us. But specifically, 
to the suffering today, his word is one of pastoral encouragement. So as we see suffering in its proper light, we can also see how trials can turn into treasures. And that's what we will explore today. Follow along with me in your outline, and we want to highlight a few things that we learn in this opening portion of James's letter today. So, how can we turn trials into treasures? One thing we must do is to trust God through every trial. So, everyone repeat, trust God through every trial. That is where we must begin. That when we face the furnace of affliction, the trials of life, the surprises of suffering, how we are to maneuver through that difficulty is to trust God in the midst of it through every trial. James chapter 1, verses 2 and following. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he begins by saying something very surprising. He says, consider or count it all joy or pure joy during various trials and all different types of sufferings that you may experience. You're like, what? Why? Because trials can deepen and develop our faith in a way that nothing else can in this world. The joy we have is not in the suffering. It is not a superficial giddiness, but it is a deeper joy that goes beyond circumstances. The joy that we have is not in the pain of our suffering, but in the fruits that comes out of suffering in the end. It's like the joy of childbearing. It's not in the pain of labor, but in the joy of delivery and of seeing the child in the very end. You know, recently, uh, as we prayed several weeks ago, uh, one of our youth pastors, JC, and his wife, Stacy, uh, she went through over 36 hours of labor. That was crazy. And she, they appreciate our prayers for that, right? Um, and when we heard that she started labor, I mean, we were so happy, right? We rejoice during labor, not because the mom is experiencing deep hurts, but because we know very soon there will be deep happiness. You see, when we hear that, you know, all suddenly someone is going through labor, labor has started, we're not happy. Yes, she's in pain, and it's going to be strong pain. No, that, we're not sadistic, right? That's not why we rejoice. When we hear, oh, the nine-month pregnant mom started labor, we rejoice, though she's starting a lot of pain right now, we rejoice not in the pain, but in the life that we are about to encounter. And that is what James is talking about here, is he's giving us spiritual insights through the lens of Scripture of how our faith needs to see and respond to our times of trials. That when we understand that there is something happening, God is doing something every time we suffer. And that when we are able to see it properly, 
we can rejoice again. Not that we're going through pain, but there is going to be new life that comes out of this season of suffering. So we consider it a joy when you are in the pains of labor because you know that it's just a matter of time before you will see new life. You see, for the believer in Christ, all pain serves a greater purpose. All pain. Because if you are in Christ, your whole life now belongs to Him, and now He will use all of your life for His greater purposes. How do we know this? Verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, this is fascinating here, okay? Now, follow along with me. Now, look at verse 2 again. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet what? Trials, okay? Trials of all different kinds, all kinds of suffering, all kinds of surprises, all kinds of difficulties. Count it all joy. Why? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith, now he's describing what the trials really are again. He's saying those trials are really a testing of faith. And that testing of faith does something. It produces steadfastness. So he's teaching us something here, that trials test our faith and produces something within us. Okay, so, all pain is a test of faith. Bottom line, what test is it? It is testing us to see what do we really believe about God? What do we really believe about God's Word? Will I still trust God in the midst of the pain? Will I still trust God's word and his character in the midst of the pain? You see, nothing tests our faith like suffering. Nothing. Suffering reveals faith, but it also refines our faith. Suffering can stretch our faith, and it can strengthen faith, when we choose to trust Him through it. Now, this is a principle that I teach often, and this is a key principle of our spiritual life that you must memorize and remember so that you will know how to face suffering, trials, and surprises in life. A lot of modern-day comfortable Christianity, it does not prepare the church and the believers to face sufferings that the Bible clearly promises will come. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have suffering. So what is this principle that you need to understand? It is something crucial for you to know, and that is that pain has the potential to either purify or poison your faith depending on who you believe. Memorize this truth because this will give you strength and life when trials come. Because trials will come. Pain in your life, when it comes, depending on who you choose to believe. Will you believe in who God's word says he is? If you choose to trust him during your trial, your faith will be purified. 
If you choose to believe and trust the lies of the enemy and of the world that says God doesn't really love you, God doesn't really care about you, God's out to get you, you believe the lies of the enemy, your faith will be poisoned because of that pain. We can trust God in our suffering because God is doing something through it. God is producing something with that pain. Look at verse 3 again. For you know that the testing of your faith, what? Produces. Testing, trials, produces something within our faith. Steadfastness. God is doing something in us, producing something within us during the trial as we trust So if you are a child of God, then God brings pain not to punish us, but to purify us and to prune us. Therefore, we are able to trust him through every trial. God is not out to get you if you are in Christ. And that is another lie that the enemy will seek to poison our faith with. Because if you are in Christ, now again, your whole life belongs to him. You are in his hands and no one can snatch you out of his hands. And while you are in his hands, he is forming Christ in you. You see, in Christ, all things have a purpose. Even pain has a redemptive purpose for our lives. For God is committed not just to saving us, but to sanctifying us to become more like Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. And this is a glorious verse that reveals that God is committed to doing whatever it takes to form Christ and his character in you even in the fire of affliction. No, let's change that. Especially in the fire of affliction. Now, we all know Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And we love that verse. We love that verse when we are in the sunshine at the beach, when it's comfortable, when we got money in the bank, when we're uh, sitting at a beach in Thailand, sipping some watermelon juice. We can say, God works all things for the good. Amen. It's easy to believe that verse when life is easy. But the challenge for our faith to truly believe that God works all things for the good is when life is hard. That's when we need, not just Romans 8.28, that's when we need Romans 8.29, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that in all things he works for the good, and in all things God is working to form Christ in you. Amen? He is not committed to your comforts. He is committed to Christ-like character, to conform you into the image of his son. That is where God's commitment lies. But the question that almost everyone always asks when they go through suffering is, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? 
But for the believer, we don't need to ask that question anymore. Why this? Why, God? Why have you allowed this to enter into my life? You see, as people of faith in a sovereign and good God, we don't ask why are you doing this or why are you allowing this. You see, that question has already been answered in Romans 8, 28 and 29. God has allowed that trial to enter your life in order to somehow, someway form Christ in you. So for the people of faith, we don't have to ask why anymore, but rather we ask what? What are you trying to do in me through this to make me more like Christ? What are you trying to teach me about your sovereignty, your goodness, your grace, your mercy? What are you trying to teach me about your hearts through this? Because I know you're good and I know you're working all things to conform me to the image of Christ. So I know these truths and I trust in them and that's why you've allowed this to enter my life. But now the question is now what? What are you trying to teach me? How can I become more like Christ as a result of this? But it's hard. It's so hard to believe and to see what God is doing when you're going through a trial, isn't it? It's hard to know what steps to take next in the midst of our suffering. That is why we need His wisdom to guide us. So in order to see your suffering properly, in order to respond to suffering properly, we need wisdom from God, and therefore we must pray for it and ask the Lord for wisdom. That is why He says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So pray in faith, not doubting the goodness and character and sovereignty of our God. He says, because the one who doubts who God is, in the midst of your trial, you're like, is God, I don't know if God really loves, I don't know if the word and his promises really, I don't know if I could really trust this kind of God. The one who doubts God's character and control says is unstable, is like the winds of the, the wind, the waves that are just tossed around by the winds of the sea. Because no one, the one who doubts God's character and control is unstable. Why? Because there's no foundation. So they will move because of wind. But people of faith move because of the word. The word dictates our next steps, not the winds of circumstances. You see, true wisdom is not just, what do I do? True biblical wisdom is, who do I trust? Who do I follow? And true wisdom is when we know we can trust and follow the Lord. Amen? Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So he will not receive. Why? Because his hands of faith are not held out to trust that God will give something good even in the midst of pain. You see, a sign of trust is seen when we are able to open our hands to receive from someone. 
You know, Enoch, he is, he lo- my son loves to smile at people. He loves waving these days and saying hi. But he will not go to everyone. He loves smiling at everyone, but he will not go to everyone. He will only enter the arms of someone he trusts. And in our storms, the arms of God are open, saying, come to me, find strength, and trust me as you enter his embrace. Verse 9 and following, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now why all of a sudden is he talking about money and wealthy people and poor people after talking about trials and suffering? He's talking about trials, counted a joy, right? God's going to do something. Trust him. Ask for wisdom when you don't know what to do. Trust him. He is good. He is sovereign. He is in control. And then he talks about, oh, but by the way, if you're rich, I'm so sorry. If you're poor, good on you. Now, why does he talk about money? Why does he say the rich are in a lowly position while the poor are in a better position? Because difficulties reveal our dependence. Hard times show us what we are really holding on to for strength, for comforts, for hope. And for the rich, the reason why he's pointing them out right now is because oftentimes the rich are depending on their bank accounts to get them through life and not upon God. So how would you answer this statement, this sentence? As long as I have blank in the future, I'll be okay. How would you honestly answer that? How would you fill in that blank? As long as I have blank in the future, I'll be okay. For far too many of us, we say, as long as I have money in the bank account, I'll be okay. Or as long as I have a spouse in the future, I'll be okay. But what the people of faith, what he's commending the poor because they don't have money in the bank account, They are the ones who can more easily answer, as long as I have God in the future, I'm going to be okay. When life gets hard, we see what we really trust in. Some people, if life is really hard, they shop. And that's why so many people around the world have tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt. Because they get stressed. Life gets hard. And so they find comforts in buying new stuff. But it obviously does not last because when the next trial comes, they need to buy more stuff. Others will call people and say, hey, I'm going through a hard time. Many people will eat. Others will sleep. Others drink coffee. I know some people who specifically said to me, Eddie, don't talk to me until after I have my morning coffee. I don't want to hurt you or offend you or destroy you. But that reveals what we are really dependent upon for strength in times of difficulty. So the faith-filled disciple will pray and learn to trust God through every trial. So that's an important place that we need to begin. 
How do we turn trials into treasures in the very end? The first thing we need to do is to trust God through every trial. Another thing that we learn in this passage to turn trials into treasures is when we treasure God through every trial. So everyone repeat, treasure God through every trial. Right, so that's the, as you trust him, also as you are trusting him, learn to treasure God through every trial. James chapter 1 verse 12 is a glorious verse. Uh, let's read that together, shall we? Ready, begin. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So blessed and happy is the man or the woman of God who remains steadfast, who keeps their trust and their faith in the Lord, even though it's hard, even though you go through doubts, you maintain your steadfastness in trusting the Lord. Trusting in God under all trials because he says, for when he has stood the test, again, he's calling it a test again, when you've passed the test that the trial is, he will receive a crown of life, salvation's reward. And then look at what he says, which God has promised to those who what? Who love him. Now, I was surprised when it said that because logically, I would have expected him to say, he will when you stood the test, you remain steadfast in your faith, you will receive a crown of life, when you pass that test, to all who have trusted in him. That's what I expected him to say. So if you've trusted him through the trial, blessings and reward are yours. That's what I would expect. But he doesn't say that. He says, and that blessing we will receive, and which God has promised to those who love him. Interesting. Blessed and happy is the man who remains steadfast in faith, trusting God through the trials, because when he has passed the test of suffering, pain, and loss, and still trusts him, he will receive a crown of life, salvation's reward, because that person is the one who loves the Lord. So this reveals what really is that test then. It is a test for you to see who you really love. So connecting it all together from the beginning, every trial is a test of love. Who do I love more? Myself and my desires and my comforts? Myself or God? Do I love pampering and comforting my life more? Is it comfort that I love more or Christ? Is it pleasure or the treasure that is found as we trust in Jesus? Because holding on to Christ in the midst of pain and suffering and loss is declaring from your hearts, Jesus, I love you more than what I've just lost. I love you more than the different circumstance that I wish that I was living in. It is declaring from your heart, 
I love you more than my comfort. I love you more than my loss. I love you more than my life. That kind of heart is the heartbeat of a disciple and brings glory to Jesus. And that kind of heart brings a crown of life for your head. Amen. You know, one of my favorite songs that I grew up with uh, that reminds me often of this kind of love for God is Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And it's an old song. Most of you guys know it. Um, and, you know, the, the chorus goes like this. I love you. I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. I think that line depicts the kind of love this verse in James is talking about. Because so many times, if this is rare for a song to declare this kind of love to God. Normally, the songs that we sing about love uh, or what we teach about love, many times is we declare God's unconditional love for me, right? Uh, that no matter what happens, even if I mess up and fail and fail and fail and fail and sin, sin, sin again, it's okay because God's love is unconditional for me. No matter what I do, God, you love me the same because your love is agape. It's not phileo, right? It's not eros. It is agape. And we celebrate that, right? We love to talk about, teach about, sing about God's agape, unconditional, no matter what I do, God, you got to love me. We celebrate it. We sing about it. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever and ever and ever. And some people do. But how often do we declare celebrate and sing about our unconditional love for God. To be able to say the exact same thing. God, I love your love because no matter what I do, you love me. And how many of us have ever said, God, no matter what you do, I love you. No matter what you bring into my life, I'm going to love you. I'm going to trust you. No matter what he chooses to do, no matter who he chooses to take away, even if I never get that job, even if I never get that spouse, even if I never get that child, though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. No matter what, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. No matter what, Jesus, I'm going to love you. Anyways, this is the core of the redeemed hearts, the regenerated heart, washed by the blood of Jesus, won over by the love of Jesus. So as we declare God's unconditional love for us, let us also in return declare our unconditional love for Him. That is what it means to treasure God through every trial. That more than anything else during this time of suffering, 
more than getting what I want, more than getting more comfortable, more than getting out of prison, more than even getting healed of that disease or cancer, you choose to trust and treasure God more than what you prayed for. That is hard. But that is faith. This is a hard teaching. You see, those who have been given the grace to truly love God will last through the trials. But this is the battle that Satan attacks us with when pain comes. He knows that we're at a crossroads. Every time pain comes, what did I say? It will either purify or poison our faith depending on who we believe. Satan knows that, and so he will bombard our minds with doubts every time we face pain. Doubt God's sovereignty, doubt God's control, doubt God's character, doubt God's love for us, doubt God's goodness. He's not really good. He doesn't really love you. He's out to get you. He doesn't care about you. And so Satan is working hard to make us doubt the goodness of God. He is attacking our faith and our love. And so because of that, a lot of times we give in. Let's be honest, right? In the midst of our trials and suffering, we are tempted to give in to sin. Because, hey, you know what, God? All right, if you don't care about me, then forget you. I'm going to pamper myself in this sin. I'm going I'm to give in here. I'm, forget you, man. You don't care about me, then I don't care about you. But James foresees this argument and addresses it here. Look at verse 13 and following. He then says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, when life is hard, we naturally want to please our flesh. So in times of trial, when life gets hard, many people give in to temptations, saying, it's too hard. I need this. I need to give, my, give myself this personal pleasure to make up for this pain. I've seen spiritual leaders who fall. You said, it was too much stress, leave me alone. That's why I fell. I was so alone, that's why I fell, leave me alone. It was just this one time, why make it a big deal? Just leave me alone. You see, every temptation is drawing us to love something more than Jesus. That is the essence of temptation. You see, temptation is a desire to dishonor God and dethrone God. Why? Because we want to be our own God. We don't want Him to tell us how to live. We want to live our own way. You see, James is reminding us that God does not tempt us. It is never God's desire to see us fall into sin, rather to fall on our knees before the cross and surrender our sins to Him. Every time you fall, it's time to crawl 
back to the cross and begin again. And when you discover it's not about our love and even our unconditional love, because that will fail us time and time again as well, when you realize it's not about my love, it's not about my goodness, it's not about my faithfulness, but about His cross and His grace and His faithfulness, His grace that saves, you begin to see the worth of the Savior and the treasure that He is. And in so doing, you are able to treasure God through every trial. And there's a third thing that we learn here about navigating through our times of trial so that they can turn into treasure in the very end. And that is to see the true God through every trial. So everyone repeat, see the true God through every trial. So this is an important lesson for us today. That when trials come, we need to learn to trust God through every trial. To treasure God through every trial. More than anything else that we desire, may we learn to desire and treasure the Lord more. And this is a crucial one too. See the true God in the midst of your trial. Look at verse 16 and following. James chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James now says, Don't be deceived, my beloved, loved by God, brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived by lies or by false images of who our God really is. God is not out to get you. God does not want you to fall or fail if you are in Christ. God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. If you are in Christ, God is not mad at you. He loves you. And he is mad about you. One of the biggest struggles during our suffering is to see God properly. Not through the lens of our pain and selfishness, but through the lens of God's promises and his goodness through Scripture. But it's always hard to see clearly when your eyes are filled with tears. So James tells us in verse 17, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does this teach us about God? That only good comes from His hand. Only good gifts come from our good Father in heaven. That all that is good in life comes from Him. Every good gift, your family that you love, your friends that you love, the food that you love, the fellowship that you love, this weather today that you love, the days off that we had for the Chusak holiday, If it is good, it is from God, and it is his gift to you. So James reminds us, know who our God really is. He is a father. He is a loving, good, kind father. He is good, and that goodness never changes. Therefore, he will always be father. He will always be good father to you, always. Warren Wiersbe once said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. His loving heart knows how much and how long. He knows how much and how long 
we are able to handle. How you see God determines how you act around Him. What you do after, your, after you sin reveals what you truly believe about our God. You know, one of our sisters in OEM and former admin, Booty, she just came back from three months of being in the U.S., visiting different organizations and groups that are fighting human trafficking. And in every major city in the U.S., there were many, many South Korean women who were victims of sex trafficking. And so she was able to talk to these Korean women because they couldn't, they wouldn't talk to the American police officers or the American aftercare centers. When the uh, U.S. police would ask these women, these sex trafficked women, how they got there or how, you know, if they were victims, all these Korean women, they would lie, even though the police knew from the confessions of the traffickers and all these things, what really happened, they, would, they wanted to hear a separate testimony from these women so that they could testify against the traffickers. And they would ask, are you a victim of sex trafficking? Da, 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 da. You know, did they force you to... And they would all lie, saying, no, 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 uh, we uh, volunteered to do this. Uh, this is our own accord. Um, yes. And so they would just kind of lie like that. But the police would say, no, 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 we're, you don't have to lie to us. We know the real story. You know, we're here to help you but the women wouldn't believe it. So when finally uh, given a safe environment to talk to Budi and the Korea t- team from Korea, um, they shared honestly and openly that, yes, you know, we are victims of sex trafficking uh, sent over here. We were victims in Korea, and then our pimps forced us to make money overseas and da-da-da-da, things like that. So when Budi asked, then why didn't you tell the police? Uh, they're here to help you. These Korean women just could not believe it. Why? Because in Korea, all these Korean women saw the corruption in the police force. When they see a badge, they see betrayal of power and of position. They see deception They see corruption. They see a customer that they must service for free when they see the police. They could not see the police in the United States as people who were there to help them because of the harm that they experienced with the police in Korea. Their false perception kept them from getting the help and the freedom that they needed. And in a similar way, There are many of us here who have a false image of who God really is. That He's out to get me. That He doesn't really care about me. That prevents us from experiencing the true help and happiness that is found in Him. So instead of running to Him, too many of us, we run away from Him. And that is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. And that is exactly why in every temptation, he casts doubt into God's goodness towards us. And for a lot of us too, because we had a bad experience with our father on earth, that he was abusive, he was distant, he was absent, we think that is what God in heaven is like. And that false image keeps us away from his embrace. But only when we believe God to be who He truly says He is in His Word, a good God, a good Father who does not change. Only when we believe truth will we be set free to run into His arms 
with childlike confidence and faith again. So it is crucial to see the true God through every trial if we're going to be able to go through the trial with faith in the end. Mike Leake, in his book, Torn to Heal, says the Bible holds out a theology of suffering that, he, that has a good and sovereign God standing over every second of our pain, going through it with us, and ultimately bringing us out of it on the other side with more lasting joy in himself. That is the ultimate aim. Joy in Christ while living in a fallen world. So what will turn our trials into treasure in the very end? Faith that will trust in the suffering servant. The one who took our suffering and sin upon himself so that one day sin and suffering would finally be no more forever. Let's pray. So can we come to Jesus today with our suffering, with our disappointments, with our pain, with our confusion, with our cares, because He does care for you? And can we also ask the Lord for wisdom so that we would be able to know how to navigate through our seasons? of loss, of disappointments, of pain in a way that would honor Him through it all. And also, can we thank Him for His unconditional love? That yes, if you are in Christ, no matter what you do, yes, He will love you. So can we come to the Lord today honestly, humbly, openly and give him the pain of your life give him the losses of your life give him the disappointments of your life and choose to trust him say God I don't understand why you allowed this to happen I don't understand why I'm going through this right now but I trust you that you are sovereign you are in control you have a purpose you are good And you are my Father. So can we turn to the Lord in prayer as we trust in Him through every trial in our lives? Let's pray together. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You 
taken me from the miry clay set my feet upon the rock now I know I love you I need you and though my world had fallen I'll never let you go my my closest friend, and I will worship you until the very end. We'll stand together. us with the ability to truly love God no matter what, that no matter what He allows to enter our lives, no matter what He allows to leave our lives, whatever comes our way, whatever leaves our ways, that we'll still trust, still treasure, still love Him. Can we pray for that kind of faith? 
that unconditional love for Jesus, ask for that kind of love to sustain us through every trial. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Pray for that faith for our lives. Let's pray together. Now, can you also pray that same blessing to that to the neighbor next to you? Place a hand on their shoulder and pray that God would strengthen their faith through every season, through every trial, that they will be able to trust and treasure the Lord no matter what comes their way, no matter what in God's sovereignty they receive or lose, that they will be able to trust and love Jesus no matter what. Let's pray that into each other's lives right now. Let's bless each other with that prayer of faith. Let's pray. Father, we choose to believe your word that tells us that you are a good father. And that only good comes from your hand. God, I ask for the grace to have faith that will trust you through every trial in our lives that what you give to us, the goodness would be seen as gift and grace and we would celebrate with thanksgiving as the author of all goodness back to you. And when we receive storms that tear away all the things in our lives, that we will trust you still. We pray for the grace to be able to treasure you more than anything or anyone in this world. That that is what it means to have you as Lord. Father, we also pray for the grace to be able to treasure you more than the things that you take away. We trust you. We treasure you. We love you. May that be the declaration of our life always. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless 
before the presence of his glory without fault but with great joy to the only God our sovereign God our Father God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be majesty glory dominion power and authority before all time supreme now and the King who will reign forever. We trust you. Amen.